the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Change makers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. We're all going to get older. There's nothing we can do about that. But did you know that you also have a biological age, which scientists can measure by assessing how your genes are expressed through epigenetics? According to today's guest, Dr. Kara Fitzgerald, exciting new research shows that your biological age can actually move in reverse. Dr. Fitzgerald shares a diet and lifestyle plan that shows you how to influence your epigenetics for a younger you. Dr. Fitzgerald lectures globally on functional medicine. She is on the faculty at the Institute for Functional Medicine and maintains a clinical practice in Newtown, Connecticut. She is the author of the book, Younger You, Reverse Your Bio-Age, and Live Longer, Better. Welcome, Dr. Fitzgerald. Thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. It's great to be with you today. So, doctor, we're going to get older. That's a fact. Many of us may not like it, but it is inevitable. But you say that even though we're aging chronologically, we can reverse aging biologically. What does that mean? Yeah, so chronological aging, can't do anything about it, number of birthdays we've had. But how fast we're aging physiologically is something that, A, we can measure reliably, and B, emerging research, including my study, suggests that we can slow it down or even reverse it. So it's a very, very exciting time in science and medicine. How much of a reverse are we able to achieve? So, for example, if you're 55, what can you actually do biologically in reverse? Like, where can we go? What's, what's a reasonable expectation? Our study demonstrated that an eight-week diet and lifestyle program reversed biological age in the participants by over three years. So eight weeks, we did a, a reversal of over three years as compared to the control group. Um, that It's the only study of its kind to date. Uh, there, there are a handful of other studies using different interventions over longer periods of time. So there was a, a, a trial out of Europe using a year-long Mediterranean diet uh, that they supplied the participants, and there was a very modest biological age reversal in women, in Polish women. So the Italian, there, it was Italian and Poles in this particular study, and so they showed a little bit of a difference in Polish women, but not in men. I mean, it was sort of interesting, their findings. Um, and then there was another year-long study where they used growth hormone injections and metformin, uh, the supplement DHEA and uh, vitamin D, and that study showed about a two-year age, biological age reversal, actually maybe two and a half, and that was a year-long study. The reality is we're just starting to figure this out. There was actually and there was one other trial that was 16 weeks looking at obese, vitamin D-deficient African-Americans. And when they gave them four, the, the group that was given 4,000 IU of vitamin D had a biological age reversal of 1.85, uh, and that was over 16 weeks. So I think our results at this point in time are certainly the most impressive, the shortest period and, and, and pretty significant biological age reversal, um, and the only randomized control study. 
Uh, but we're just sticking our toe in this pond. So, Joan, it's a really exciting time. And, you know, this time next year, you know, maybe you'll be talking to me again. And, you know, we're, we're, we're embarking on a, on a new study now. And we're, we're just going to continue to be reporting. Dr. Fitzgerald, what I think is so exciting about this is that many of us, as we age, we tend to think, you know, I've done all this damage over the years. I I haven't eaten properly and I haven't exercised the way I should. And we tend to think that it's too late to do anything about that. But really what you're showing is it's never too late to reverse what we've done over the course of our lifetime. Yeah, that's right. And arguably, it's essential. It's so important. Yes, we do not want to give up. So our study looked at middle-aged men. They were between 50 and 72. So middle-aged, and we were able to do significant biological age reversal. I I mean, no question, we all want to step in wherever we are in this journey and think about biological age and optimizing it. And I also want to say that The older we are, there's some research suggesting the more bang for our buck we'll get in biological age reversal. There's one really cool study looking at exercise, and we get more, you know, benefit as far as our gene expression goes, which is how we measure biological age, than younger people. So definitely no time like the present to start, regardless of who we are, regardless of our health history. You know, we can all jump in and and participate on this journey, and, and I think we all really need to. In fact, one thing that I'll say, and then I'll, I'll stop, is that we, so we're looking at gene expression to measure biological age. Once upon a time, we thought that our destiny was written in our genes and there was nothing that we could do about it. But science has tipped that paradigm on its head. We now know that gene expression is influenced potently by how we live our lives, what we're eating. Uh, what we're doing, what we're thinking, feeling, et cetera. So in fact, we know today that we have a huge say over the quality of our health span and the duration of our lifespan. And, you know, we're talking about age reversal, but really what we're saying is that we have the ability through what you teach to prevent and even reverse disease. And, And that's really where it comes into play, like you're saying with epigenetics. So many of us, like, for example, my father passed away of cancer, my mom of heart disease. So those are two things where I could very easily say, I'm predisposed to cancer and heart disease. But what I've learned through the science of epigenetics is that I do have a say to a certain point in in how this plays out in my own life. And we all do. You have a big say, bigger than you realize. Yes. So I want to back up and say biological age, so how fast we're physically aging, is the biggest risk factor for these chronic diseases, the heart disease and cancer, you know, that your parents experience. So we can think about a couple things. We can think about focusing on biological age and improving the aging journey, and that will, by extension, reduce risk for these, you know, these very ubiquitous chronic illnesses. And, you know... As we do this, we are going to shift gene expression towards a favorable, more anti-inflammatory, more anti-cancer, more antioxidant detox, et cetera. We're going to be shifting our gene expression to kind of support um, optimal health as well. And I want to really emphasize the positive message of, of what you're saying, because, you know, especially coming off of this pandemic where we've all felt so helpless, what you're saying is that we have so much power and control over our health when we pay attention to the things we eat and the, the way we live, our thoughts and so forth. Yes. These, you know, these daily habits, these daily choices are far more impactful than we realized. And I think that's the promise and the responsibility of this new era, you know, of the, you know, of being able to look at our gene expression, you know, the science of epigenetics. There is some responsibility here. We can't say uh, it's all in our genes, you know, that we have no responsibility around the outcome. Or, I mean, we can say that, but it's, it's not true. In fact, we have a great deal to, to say. We have a big role to play in health outcomes. Doctor, we're such a stressed out society. How does stress impact the way we age? 
Yeah, so we're also, we're a stressed out society and we're a society that's aging faster than other, you know, similarly developed society. So I, I suppose that's no great surprise, right? We tend to do everything faster. <laughs> um, stress, so my read on the literature as far as gene expression and, and um, biological age goes is that stress is a potent promoter of aging. Uh, gasoline on the fire of aging. Um, the biological age clock that we used in our study, so the pattern of gene expression that we used in our study, a full 25% of it was dedicated to uh, stress responses. So genes that are responsive to glucocorticoids or cortisol, the stress hormone. A full 25%. There was no other contributing factor as potent as stress, you know, in my read on, on this clock. We have to take our stress experience very seriously. A lot of us say, oh, I'm so stressed out. You know, there's nothing I can do about it. I mean, I have to work. I have to do this and da, 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 and the kids and, you know, there's not enough money. And, you know, there's a, a litany. We're almost powerless over this stress experience. But, you know, all of us can shift it. We can take a minute two minutes to just turn the volume down. And I think if we understand how essential it is, um, that we can do that. So we know that stress drives aging forward, but there's also really cool science showing that meditation, Tai Chi, yoga, you know, really healthy practices reverse biological aging. And it doesn't, we don't have to be experienced. We don't have to go live in the monastery in the mountains. Just one episode of meditation in an, in an inexperienced practitioner has favorable changes on gene expression. And so if we keep doing it, it, it can contribute to a reduction in biological age. Has anyone studied the way our children are aging? We have a generation of kids who are more obese than ever before. They're not as active. You know, they, they're experiencing diabetes, high blood pressure, things that you don't yeah. normally find in children. You know, what's happening to them? Yeah. I, I worry about them in the future. Yeah. So there's interesting science here. Uh, in fact, that has been looked at. And yes, it is a pro-aging phenomena and an appropriately pro-aging phenomena. Um, our kids, so we're supposed to age fast when we're little, you know, when we're babies or, you know, our children age fast. I mean, remember back to your kids when they were babies and infants, it was like they were learning new words by the second, or you could see them with a new physical skill so fast. Or, you know, I look at my daughter when she, you know, bangs herself falling or something and she, she healed it's like I can watch her skin, you know, just knit itself back together. They're, they're extraordinary. They're developing and they should be at this breakneck pace. We, th there can be a developmental delay that's driven by um, epigenetics when abuse is there or when there's a lack of affection or insufficient nourishment. So we can see a delay. But then, you know, as kids get older and they adopt some of the bad habits that, you know, the, the Western lifestyle uh, can uh, usher in, we can see a phenomena that looks more pro-aging in a negative way. So then what are some things that we can be doing, daily swaps, to turn all of this around, to age in, in a better way for our children and for ourselves? I would argue that we all, that we want to be eating for our genes at any age. It doesn't have to be huge uh, sweeping changes. And a lot of this is intuitive. So processed foods, not surprisingly, you know, high carbohydrate, sugar rich foods aren't healthy on gene expression at all. We want a whole foods diet. We want it to be vegetable centric fruits are in there, but we don't want high sugar fruits, lots of those dark berries, the polyphenols, the colorful aspects of fruits and veggies are so essential for good gene expression. But we also want nutrients. Um, we call them methyl donors. So the polyphenols sort of direct what's happening on gene expression. And then we want the ingredients of good gene expression that come from foods like, uh, again, greens, 
nuts and seeds, eggs are really important, beets. Um, and if folks are open to it, a little bit of liver. In our study, we prescribed three servings of liver per week. Uh, and I know some people will balk at that, but liver is a rich, important multivitamin in a food matrix. So if you could bullet point the things we should be doing and the things we should be avoiding, what would that takeaway be? Whole foods diet, avoid processed foods. So eat a whole foods diet, avoid processed foods. Do some exercise most days of the week. Avoid being sedentary. Avoid over-exercising. Take a minute to de-stress, whatever that looks like for you. Don't allow the stress experience to dominate and overwhelm you all of the time. Step out of that. Sleep. <laughs> Sleep is essential for healthy epigenetic expression. Pay attention to what you need to do to get a good night's sleep. I outline all of the hacks that I've used to ensure that I get a good night's sleep most nights. Doctor, listening to you make this list, these are things that most of us know we should be doing. Why do you think we don't? Well, you know, I think that we... I think that, that, that the whole agribusiness, I mean, I think our, our culture shifted, you know, a, a long time ago towards a modernization um, that's antithetical to health. Like we moved away from eating this way. I mean, we certainly evolved eating this way and being this way, sleeping, exercising, movement was a part of life. Uh, and as we entered into the so-called modern era, um, we just omitted a lot of these foundational practices uh, from our lives. I think, you know, industry has certainly stepped in to make a lot of money off us, make a lot of money off of prepared foods, um, you know, foods of lesser quality. Uh, I think it's just, I think it's multifactorial. You know, and certainly in medicine, being a physician, uh, we didn't appreciate the level of the importance of nutrition. You know, modern medicine really kicked nutrition to the curb, kicked diet to the curb uh, for the sake of, you know, drugs and procedures, et cetera. Uh, we're now obviously realizing that that was, you know, a deep error that we're going to be paying for for a long time. And we, and we really need to turn the paradigm back to, you know, an earlier time. There's so much talk these days about boosting immunity and everything you're teaching is what should be shouted from all of the rooftops. Yeah, that's right. So we know people who are most vulnerable to the ravages of COVID are people who are aging biologically faster. Um, so yes, all of these interventions will help us uh, optimize our, our immune response without question. The book is Younger You, Reverse Your Bio-Age and Live Longer Better. If you'd like to get more information about Dr. Fitzgerald and her work, you can visit drcarafitzgerald.com. That's D-R, drcarafitzgerald.com. Doctor, in about 30 seconds or less, what's the takeaway? We can get younger, and it's really our responsibility to engage in it. So let's get younger together. Amen. I'm on board with you. Dr. Fitzgerald, thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. It was a pleasure to be with you. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Do you feel lost on your journey to health and happiness? Then let us guide you on your path, personalized actions towards health. Your path is a series of choices you act on every day. We guide you on a personalized journey of dietary, exercise, genetic, supplement, and lifestyle choices that lead you to optimal health and happiness. Often taking the road less traveled leads to liberation. Your path is personal. Your journey, like you, is unique. Take action today. Head to bestpathforme.com. Again, that's bestpathforme.com. 
invitation to appear on a radio show or podcast provides you with the opportunity to showcase your knowledge while promoting yourself, your products, and your business. It can elevate you as an expert, boosting your reputation, but only if you make a good impression. As a producer and radio host who has conducted more than 2,000 interviews, I have experienced all kinds of conversations. Some are great and leave the audience wanting more, while others are uninteresting, significantly diminishing the guest's appearance. In my training program, It's Your Time to Shine, I provide valuable information that will empower you to make media appearances more impactful. You work hard to get the booking, so don't waste the opportunity because of a lack of skills or preparation. To learn more about how I can help you shine like a pro, visit CYACYL.com slash media training. That's CYACYL.com slash media training. productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach on Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining us today is Linda Mitchell, a certified transition coach, reinvention expert, and speaker who empowers people that are stuck, overwhelmed, or ready for change to release the struggle, gain clarity, and evolve to their highest purpose as they move through life's challenges and transitions. Linda is here today to discuss overcoming the fear of being judged. Welcome, Linda. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for inviting me back, Joan. It's always great to be here. Linda, and and this is something that really bothers me, and I see this often on social media where it just seems like people have lost their filter, like their ability to censor Mm. themselves. And sometimes people make hurtful comments that can leave us feeling judged and bad about ourselves. And over time, you know this is going to have a very harmful impact on all of us. What do you believe happens when we are on the other side of these hurtful comments? Oh, yeah. Words definitely have power, and they can leave us feeling upset and vulnerable. Other people's judgment of us can negatively impact our own opinion of ourselves. We might begin to doubt ourselves and our decisions. Our confidence crumbles and ultimately leads to this fear of being judged, fear of making mistakes, fear of taking risks which, of course, negatively impacts everything, our relationships, our jobs, our social lives, and, of course, our self-esteem. The fear of being judged is one of the biggest reasons that I see people shying away from following their dreams or using their unique talents. It's one of the biggest reasons people don't feel free to be who they truly are. And this is so sad because it's so damaging to our sense of self. Linda, how can we deflect the hurtful comment and keep ourselves from internalizing it? Yeah, so recognize that everyone has an opinion, right? Most people like to express their opinion. Some you'll agree with and some you won't. So you may find it very helpful to come up with and practice a simple phrase to kind of pull out of your pocket when necessary. It might sound something like, well, that's very interesting. What a unique perspective you have. I see the situation differently, but really, thanks for your input. And then remind yourself that your opinion is the most important. Recognize that even if the words spoken were hurtful, most people don't intentionally try to hurt others. Sometimes things just come out wrong, right? So giving others the benefit of the doubt will help you realize that they probably weren't intentionally trying to hurt you. This realization will help you release the judgment more easily rather than internalizing it. Linda, do you have any tips or techniques that can help us overcome the fear of being judged? Well, one of the best things you can do is to learn your strengths and limitations. Once you're clear on them, you're less likely to be affected by what others say. Their opinions of your abilities become somewhat irrelevant since you know what you're capable of. If someone has harsh words to say about something you've worked on and you know it's not one of your strongest talents, you can more easily dismiss the judgment. It's not your wheelhouse, right? And that's okay. We all have different gifts and talents. What matters most is your opinion of yourself. And this next tip is really important. Avoid looking for approval from others and be content with self-approval. Soon that will be more important. One way to get there faster is to celebrate all your successes, big and little, along the way, or do something you know you've been avoiding. And once it's done, stop and notice how good that feels. 
That's getting comfortable with self-approval. Starting or deepening your spiritual practice helps too. Spending time alone reflecting or journaling strengths helps you feel good about yourself, your successes, and your decisions, and it bolsters you against harsh judgments. This kind of consistent positive reassurance can help overcome the fear of failure. Next, be very aware of your inner critic. That little voice in your own head can become deafening at times. So it's important to recognize when negative thoughts start to creep in. And if you let other people's judgment of you chime in with your own negative talk, it's really much harder to deflect it. So learn to make yourself a priority. When you allow someone else's judgment to cloud your own perceptions, you actually give that person power over your life. You can take back control by recognizing that you are your own priority and what you believe matters more than someone else's judgment of you. When you feel judged, ask yourself, is this person well enough informed about the situation to fairly judge you? Was what they said true? Are they someone whose opinion you truly value? Remember, there are instances where people are jealous of your success, your achievements, and your work, and they might judge you harshly to try and make themselves feel better. Also, memories do fade. So even though hearing someone judge or criticize you hurts in the moment, if you purposely push it to the back of your mind by thinking about something else, the memory of it will fade more quickly than if you ruminate over it, because what we focus on expands. So be sure you're not giving priority to the negative thoughts. It's really helpful to recall the times you've taken risks that have paid off in a positive way. Remind yourself of all the successes you've had, especially when you're about to embark on something that feels outside of your comfort zone and you're not as sure of yourself as you would otherwise be. Do what feels true and right for you despite what others may say or judge you for because that will always pay off. Linda, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more about Linda and her work, you can visit livinginspiredcoaching.com, or as always, to hear more from Linda, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Linda. We'll be right back. Do you believe that there can be a silver lining from tragedy and that blessings come in disguise? Hi, this is Joan Herman here with a lesson learned while earning my PhD in life. Your attitude determines how you view a situation and how you move through it. A tragedy is defined as an event causing great suffering, destruction, and distress. We understand the meaning of those words. However, I believe that the important component is how we view the situation. What may be a tragedy to one person is nothing more than a bump in the road to another. While we can agree that events such as death, divorce, or job loss create less than desirable circumstances, each can be viewed and handled differently from one person to the next. The key is that person's outlook. There are people who see the glass half full in all situations and others who see it as half empty. We have a choice about how we view what occurs in our life, and that choice determines how we will transition through a tragic experience. So what is the key to getting through a tragedy? First and foremost, we must recognize that we have a choice in the situation. When a tragedy occurs, often we believe that we are a victim of circumstance and that this will be our lot in life. We think that we will never recover. The key to moving on is to know that you have the power to change the situation. No matter how devastating a circumstance, you have the power to get through it. You are not a victim. The choice is yours. After my mother and sister died and my 23-year marriage ended all within a period of six months, I knew I was at a fork in my life. I could go one way and let the loss and pain defeat me. I could be a victim or I could go in a different direction and turn the pain into something positive, something with meaning. It was my choice. We all have that choice. Some people create a charity from the loss of a child. Others write books based on their experience, while others make necessary life changes, such as getting sober. Tragedy has the power to transform us, and it provides hidden blessings if we take the time to look for them. I think what is allowable is what you need. Initial hurt, sadness, grief are all normal emotions, and they should be felt. Never suppress your feelings. The problem occurs when you allow yourself to stay stuck when you assume the role of victim. It's important to get help if you cannot get going by yourself. Read books or seek counsel that can help you get your head in the game. Reach out to friends and loved ones. Isolation can make the situation worse. Seek professional assistance if you're overwhelmed, depressed, or have suicidal thoughts. Remember, you're not alone and that you have a choice. It is absolutely okay to feel scared and lonely. Don't ever let someone make you feel less than because you're grieving or in pain. Everyone heals in their own time. There's no right or wrong way to grieve, and there's no timetable. 
A true friend would want to know what's going on in your life. It's never too much to tell someone you love that you're in trouble and need help. You should never be ashamed. There are blessings in every situation, but sometimes you have to look harder to find them. When my father was dying from cancer, while it was a horrible experience, it was also a gift because when I took him for treatment every day, I really got to know him. We talked and we laughed and we spent precious time together. I had to look for that gift, but now I treasure it. How we experience our life comes from how we view what we experience. As Dr. Wayne Dyer said, when we change the way we look at things, the things we look at change. Thanks for spending these minutes with me. For more inspiration and empowering tools, visit joanherman.com. This is WNYF, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. back to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. Small business owners are constantly challenged to find ways to be creative, and many are facing creative burnout. Joining us today to talk about ways business owners can reset and get a creative refresh through social media is Natalie Safat, a social media expert who has partnered with some of the most iconic brands in the world. Welcome, Natalie. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Joan, for having me. So, Natalie, one of the most common things I hear so many business owners say is, I hate social media. And they say this over and over again. I hate it. I hate it. So how important is social media to a small business? Well, I totally relate, by the way, to those folks who feel challenged by social media. uh, But I have good news and bad news, and it's kind of both. Social media is really, really important for small businesses. Um, In fact, 55% of small business owners say that social media is more critical to their business's success than having a physical storefront. Uh, And so naturally, with that, you want to invest. You want to invest your time in writing compelling captions and copy. You want to invest in design tools that make your assets look gorgeous on your page when someone lands on it. Because you want social media ultimately to be a place where your customers get excited about your business and continue to keep your business top of mind. Do you think people feel this way about social media because they just don't understand it? They're afraid of it? I think that's a really good, honestly, hypothesis. Yeah, I think, um, you know, when it's not something you're familiar with, you're not in the sort of mix or the swing of doing it every single day, um, it can certainly feel intimidating. But I will say, just like anything else, riding a bike or any other thing that is a new skill that you acquire, the more you do it um, and the more consistent you get, I think the, the less intimidating it will be and the more natural it will feel uh, to turn a camera on yourself or to uh, write a caption for a post uh, or to share something personal that you weren't expecting to share online. Some of the things I see people doing constantly amaze me. I'm all about your brand and brand protection. And what are some of the biggest mistakes that you've seen people make? You know, I think that the biggest mistake you can make on social media is doing something that is inauthentic to who you would be off social media. Um, Social media, you should really think about as a way to extend who you are as a human and as a business owner, right? So if you are a car mechanic, uh, a perfect example of something you could do on Instagram or TikTok um, is share the three most common questions you get asked along with the answers. And maybe there's a really interesting humorous twist like how annoying these questions are or the way that people ask these questions of you. Um, If you can find a way to really surprise and delight or entertain or educate your customers, you're going to make sure that they remember you. Um, And so the mistake is to not be the same person you are in person. Um, Make sure that 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 offline personality really does extend to online. And Natalie, how often should people be posting? You know, it's a great question, and I think it will depend upon your industry. Um, One of the things I often encourage my small business clients to do is to strive for quality over quantity. I'd rather you did one solid post a week than four just to be able to say, you know what, I post every other day. Um, Make sure that your posts are really giving people uh, some, some tangible information, something to hold on to, whether you're, again, entertaining them, putting a smile on their face, or educating them, teaching them something about your industry. There are so many different platforms that are available for us to use. What is the best way to determine the platform that would be best suited for our business? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I think the, the thing that you want to think about is, number one, um, 
am I listening to my audience when I post something? So for example, if you're on TikTok, and you're making videos, um, but your audience in the comments isn't necessarily engaging. They're not giving you feedback. They're not asking questions. They're not saying, hey, does that product um, feel lightweight or heavy? Or does it come in other colors? Or would it fit in a traditional backpack? If your customers aren't asking questions that point back to product purchase decisions, um, you may want to rethink the kind of content you're creating. Um, so I wouldn't say like a blanket answer that, you know, if you're in a creative industry beyond Instagram and Pinterest, I don't think about it like that as much as try something out, strive for quality over quantity. You don't have to be on eight channels. Pick one or two that you know you can commit to and do a really good job on and listen to your audience. People on the internet, for better or worse, they're not shy. They will tell <laughs> you what they think. Um, so, right. so read your comments, my, uh, my best tips. Is it also important to check out the demographics of each platform to see if it's your target audience? Yeah, that's so important. I'm glad you said it because uh, one thing people do often is they just start posting. They don't think about who they're talking to or who their end user is. And in some cases, it's a little different than the person who's walking into their storefront. It's a little younger, a little older. Maybe there's more women than men. And so naturally, that's going to shape your tone and voice when you're speaking to that person, right? A 25-year-old guy, different, very different than a 50- or 60-year-old woman. Um, and you want to make sure your voice is consistent with the person you're talking to. And you also want to make Make sure that your design is consistent. So one of the things I recommend, a tool I use often for my small business clients is Adobe Creative Cloud Express because what they offer on that platform are thousands of templates to choose from, honestly ranging from something that would appeal uh, to a, you know, a teen or a 20-something all the way up to something a little bit more sophisticated for an older consumer. They've got you know funny gifts that might appeal to that younger person I described, or stickers, and then they've got, um, you know, gorgeous templates that you can use for everything from banner photos, cover images, or even ads that you want to run on your pages. And do you have any final tips or strategies you want to leave our listeners with? Oh my goodness, so many, but I will say one. Um, I think that I just read the stat, 74% of small business owners feel creatively hindered right now. And no judgment, right? What a few years we've all had. But one of the things I encourage you to do, if you are trying to be more creative and try something on social media you haven't tried, go out of your comfort zone. Try recording a video. Try a design tool like Creative Cloud Express. See what you're able to come up with. And that really is one of the best ways to get the creative juices flowing. Natalie, where can our listeners go to get more information about you and your work? You can visit me on my Instagram or Twitter at Natalie Zapat. Natalie, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me, Joan. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Do you have a visible bump on the side of the foot, tenderness in or around the big toe, difficulty moving the big toe, and or pain in the big toe when walking? If you answered yes to any or all of these questions, you may have a bunion. Hi, I am Dr. Anand Joshi, podiatrist practicing in Woodland Park, New Jersey at Advanced Foot Care of NJ LLC. Bunions are abnormalities of the feet that can cause a bump to develop on the side of the big toe joint. This can cause the toe to turn inwards. Women are more likely to have bunion pain due to increased pressures from narrow footwear. Having a family history of bunions is also a risk factor. Additionally, some conditions, including rheumatoid arthritis or polio, increase the likelihood of developing a bunion. Here are some things you can do to treat a bunion. Wear proper-fitting shoes without high heels. Also, using a bunion pad from a shoe store or drugstore helps protect a bunion from extra pressure. Applying ice for 10-minute increments with a cloth-covered ice pack can also help reduce the inflammation. A podiatrist can prescribe custom-made orthotics that can assist with stabilizing the deformity and eventually slowing down the progression of the deformity. If a person's bunion does not subside and causes continued pain, surgery may be necessary. If you'd like more information or to schedule an appointment, please visit our website, footpainnj.com. An invitation to appear on a radio show or podcast provides you with the opportunity to showcase your knowledge while promoting yourself, your products, and your business. It can elevate you as an expert, boosting your reputation, but only if you make a good impression. 
As a producer and radio host who has conducted more than 2,000 interviews, I have experienced all kinds of conversations. Some are great and leave the audience wanting more, while others are uninteresting, significantly diminishing the guest's appearance. In my training program, It's Your Time to Shine, I provide valuable information that will empower you to make media appearances more impactful. You work hard to get the booking, so don't waste the opportunity because of a lack of skills or preparation. To learn more about how I can help you shine like a pro, visit cyacyl.com slash media training. That's cyacyl.com slash media training. Today is Eileen Lashinsky, the founder and creator of Fine Body Freedom, a program developed for women who want to change their relationship with their bodies. For over three decades, Eileen battled with her own issues with body image, weight, and her relationship with food. After trying every diet on the market, she realized that the answers to her struggles were right inside her body. Since then, Eileen has been working with women to guide them to discover their own innate body wisdom and to find body freedom. Welcome, Eileen. Thank you so much for coming back on the show. Hi, Joan. Thank you for having me. Good to be here. Eileen, many of us eat for reasons other than hunger. How much do you believe our emotions play into what and how we eat? It's a wonderful question that you're asking, uh, Joan, and I want to take us back. If I could do just a little visualization here with our audience, I want to take us back to being an infant. And we're an infant, and we're being held in our mother's arms. And mom is giving, we're hungry, because we've just let her know with a cry. And she's holding us now, about to give us bottle or breast, whatever. And um, we start to eat. And that little self of us, of ours, that little self starts to melt. That little self melts into mom's arms, feels calmed and soothed by being fed. And when we've had enough, and our bodies tell us this, because remember, we're infants and we don't have a thought process yet about, I've had enough. When we've had bodily, we've had enough, we stop eating. We turn away, we push the breast or the bottle away, and we stop. And why am I telling you this bit of visualization here? Because right from day one, there is an incredible, beautiful link, actually, between getting nourished, getting fueled, and emotional well-being. When we are hungry, whether we're seconds old, or whether we are 70 years old, when we are hungry and we are not allowing ourselves to feed ourselves, there is uh, emotional distress that ensues. And if we don't feed ourselves or if we're not fed when we're little, that is the first, um, the, the first stage, the first sign of a, um, a cycle that then could be born around emotional eating. We're programmed then from an early age that food equates to love. Not just love, but comfort, safety, calmness, security, all of those good things that even as adults we want, including love, but all of those other things as well. Food is tied to those from a few moments after we're born. So, Eileen, with that knowledge, when we go on a diet, we're not just depriving ourselves of particular foods. We're depriving ourselves of all of those emotions that you just described to us. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Particularly, and and again, I say absolutely, I don't want to... um, Uh, dismiss any uh, lifestyle change food program that would allow us 
to incorporate our favorite foods into our daily lives because that very, very possibly would work for many people. It certainly has worked for me when I've created my own plan of eating that does work for me. But the traditional diet where the expert is outside of us, where that expert, whomever that expert is, where that expert says, these are the foods you choose from, these are the foods that are off limits, and that those are the kinds of things that sabotage the possibility of our feeling those feelings, those lovely, calming, comfortable, safe, loving feelings that we had even as infants, now as adults. It's possible food can serve that same purpose, but in a healthy way, but not if we're being deprived, not if that expert outside of us who doesn't know our body inclinations, if that person is constructing that program, uh, I think we're cooked. Okay, so, so Eileen, because this is actually very interesting. So if food is equated to love and security and compassion and all of those wonderfully deep-rooted emotions within us, how then can we create a, a lifestyle that will give us those emotions as a result and change the way we eat at the same time? Wonderful, wonderful question. So here's my take on it. I think um, what what you cannot see here is I'm putting my two hands out in front of me side by side. I need I need us to visualize again two things side by side. Those two things side by side are one food. Um, has an emotional basis in our lives. And the second is food is fuel for our bodies. Having an emotional connection does not address the importance of how our physiological selves need food in order to do the stuff of our daily living, including how our brain functions. That process of getting nutrition in order to fuel the body comes from fuel foods. And so the two things side by side, the emotional component, because we cannot overlook the pull that that has on us, but also the importance of good nutrition, where our eating for the day is loaded with fuel foods. Those two things combined will keep us on the right path for a healthy life. In our final moments, in about 30 seconds or less, what is the takeaway that you want our listeners to remember from this conversation? I want people to uh, be able to feel whatever it is that they're feeling. So, for example, I'm not hungry but I'm feeling the desire to eat. And I know I'm not hungry because I just had something uh, 45 minutes ago. So to be able to sit with the feelings of wanting something, of longing for something, and then to be able to say, okay, how am I going to get that in my life as quickly as I can? Because I know I'm not hungry, but I want something that I'm longing for. So what do I do about that? Eileen, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more about this topic, if you'd like to work with Eileen, you can visit her website, findbodyfreedom.com. Or as always, to hear more from Eileen, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Eileen. Do you allow fear to stop you dead in your tracks whenever you think about trying something new? Does that voice in your head conjure up a list of reasons to be inactive while you shouldn't try to accomplish a goal? Hi, this is Joan Herman here with a lesson learned while earning my PhD in life. It's time to face your fears and step out of your comfort zone. For most of my life, I was that person, too afraid to take a chance, self-sabotaging myself at every turn. I had a reason for every roadblock that I built. I allowed fear to govern my life. It took a major life upheaval and a lot of soul searching to get me to change my ways. And when I did, I realized that I hadn't really lived. I played it safe and simply survived. 
Over the course of the past decade, I have had the opportunity to interview people that have inspired and challenged me to step outside of the comfort zone I called life. I met warriors who have overcome tremendous challenges and displayed courage that most can only imagine. They changed my way of thinking. Some of these people were born without arms and legs or feet or hands. Others have lost their vision or the ability to walk, and others have survived horrific trauma and now live their life in service to others. Every one of these people had every right to live in fear as they faced unfathomable challenges, but they all chose to confront their limitations and achieve what many would consider to be impossible. They understood that fear is nothing more than a mindset, a perception, false evidence appearing real. They taught me that each time we face our fears, we gain strength, courage, and confidence in the doing. So the next time you're faced with an overwhelming challenge, an opportunity to try something new, or the chance to step out of your comfort zone, how do you push fear aside and take action? First, evaluate the driving force behind your fear. Is it a real consideration or something that you've created in your mind? Then make a list of your concerns and attack them one by one. Ask yourself, what is the worst thing that can happen? And by the way, it usually doesn't. Then develop a plan of action. What is your goal and how will you achieve it? Empower yourself with knowledge. And finally, muster up the courage to take a chance. The best plans are meaningless without action. As the explorer Christopher Columbus said, you can never cross the ocean until you have the courage to lose sight of the shore. Remember, it isn't the end result that matters. It's the journey. And you just may enjoy the ride. Thank you for spending this time with me. For more inspiring tips, visit joanherman.com. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read the digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.